I think in both startups, what we did is that we started with the supply side, because in both cases, the supply side was easier to get on board, because in both startups, we were essentially helping the supply side to make more money. And everyone is interested in making more money. So it was relatively easy to get the supply side on board. There is also arguments in the startup world that make sense to focus on whatever is harder. So rather than going after the easier part of the marketplace, demand is harder, focus on demand first and crack the demand because if you unlock the demand, then the supply is going to follow. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the Want Money, Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my guest today is Victor Kyosev. Victor is originally from Bulgaria, but he has lived in Greece, Denmark, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and the list goes on and on. He is an expert when it comes to growing marketplaces. So if you are into marketplaces or if you plan to build one, then this is the podcast episode for you. Also, his company, helps other companies set up in Southeast Asia. So if you intend to expand in that part of the world, listen to this episode. So let's get into it. Victor, um, it's great to have you on the show. I've been following you on LinkedIn and I'm seeing some of your work and especially your company, Greenhouse. Um, what it does, it helps other startups to set up in Southeast Asia. So I've got so many questions about that. But first, I would like to know about your personal journey. How did you get started and how did you end up in Southeast Asia? As just from knowing you, I know that's not where you were born and brought up. Yeah, thank you very much, Sam, for the opportunity. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. And yeah, I wouldn't say that it's a very typical path of of other Bulgarians because I'm born in Bulgaria and raised there. I think there are very few here. I'm currently based in Jakarta, Indonesia. I think I met maybe one more or two. So it's not really common journey that I took. Initially, what happened is that I got my bachelor's and my master's in Denmark. So I moved when I was 18 for studies to Denmark. Upon graduating my master's, I started my first startup. We started working on a few different projects and we were quite active. And at some point, one of these projects got admitted at an accelerator program based in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur. So the accelerator program is called MAGIC and it stands for Malaysian Global Innovation and Creativity Center. So it's a quite a big uh, program. We were about 50 startups from all over the world. So that's how I moved to Kuala Lumpur. And from Kuala Lumpur, you know, we were running a marketplace for photographers at the time, so which allowed us to travel quite a bit. We traveled a lot uh, to Thailand, around Malaysia, Singapore, and Indonesia. And we eventually ended up in uh, Bali, Indonesia. And that's how I moved to this part of the world. And ever since then, I stayed. There have been times when I was considering to go back to Europe, but I just the, the Southeast Asian uh, region is so dynamic and there is so much going on. There's so many opportunities that I, I just stayed in, and I've been uh, bumping into different opportunities. And right now, spearheading greenhouse across, across entire Southeast Asia. Yeah, that is fantastic. Talking about magic, how did you find magic? Because I talk with lots of founders and a lot of them want to go to one of the three, the tech stars or the Y Combinator or the 500 startups. How did you choose magic or how did it even come on your radar? 
Oh, that's that, that's interesting. I agree that, of course, Y Combinator has really good reputation, but it's also pretty difficult to get into Y Combinator. I think yes. actually nowadays it's harder to get into Y Combinator than in Harvard uh, Business School. Not everyone is so fortunate to be able to have the necessary traction yes. or, or the storytelling skills early on in their career. Yeah. To end up there. So then we are on, as any startup early on before you reach product market fit, I think there is a point where you're a bit confused, right? There's so many things you can focus on and, and it just makes sense to receive guidance from relevant people that have been there than that. So we started thinking whether it makes sense to join an accelerator and, and we did a quick search and magic popped up and that's how we ended up there because early on it's challenging right before product Very market fit it just it's a roller coaster there's so many things you can focus on and it, it makes sense to have people that are interested in helping you and people that care about you and they're all the time around you yeah yeah absolutely and you did the, it was a marketplace startup as well right the first one Correct. since you have done now you've worked you started one and you, you're working for one marketplace. Most marketplaces have this extremely hard and a common challenge that is the chicken and egg. You don't, when you first start, you have no suppliers. So it is very hard to get buyers because there's no, you know, there's, or get customers. And since there's no customers, it's hard to get suppliers or, or service providers. So how did you overcome that in your first startup? And what are you guys doing now in Greenhouse to overcome that? I think in both startups, what we did is that we started with the supply side. Because in both cases, the supply side was easier to get on board. Because in both startups, we were essentially helping the supply side to make more money. And everyone yeah. is interested in making more money. So it was relatively easy to get the supply side on board. There is also arguments in the startup world that it makes sense to focus on whatever is harder. So rather than going after the easier part of the marketplace, demand is harder, focus on demand first and crack the demand because if you unlock the demand, then the supply is going to follow. So yes. that's also an argument that I do think uh, makes a lot of sense. I I wasn't able so far to really start with that. So we always started with the supply side. I think by now I have pretty good understanding of how I can quickly grow the supply side, how I can excite them, onboard them, automate the process. So that's what we did first. And up until now, we've been really focused on building the supply side for Greenhouse. I think by today, we have partners in 15 countries, so all over APAC and more than 120 service providers. And in our case, the service providers are not as many as in other marketplaces. So we need to actually be very selective about who we let on the marketplace. So yeah, that's how we started. The, the supply side, it's relatively inexpensive. If you've done it in the past, if you know how to do it, it can require a few BD resources and you can grow it quite fast. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Then the second thing is engagement. That's what every marketplace faces. It's, it's, it's good to get registered users but if those registered users are not engaging and being active on a regular basis it all falls through <laughs> how did you overcome that challenge yeah even so what we realized earlier on is that even if i give a lot of leads to our supply side to our service providers yes. if these leads are not qualified or at least a little bit qualified what happens is that they disengage so even yeah. if you have good intentions and you pass them potential customers if this customers are not qualified enough, what happens is that at some point they stop replying emails because they realize that, okay, these guys are just wasting my time, sending me a lot of unqualified leads. Early on, we, I mean, that was a very intuitive lesson. So early yes. on, we learned that it's not just about bringing them customers. 
it's a lot about, as you mentioned, engagement. So yeah. what we started doing is that we didn't implement necessarily a proper program, but what we're doing is that we run a lot of webinars. That's one. Yes. And we always try to rotate the service providers we work with. So we would engage them, you know, with service providers from Indonesia, from Philippines, Hong Kong, South Korea, from all over the world. And in that way, we give them exposure because most of our service providers, they don't necessarily have great websites or now know how to run this kind of campaigns. So they're not really digital at all. Mm -hmm. So anything that helps them with their digital brand, especially in a post-COVID world, I think it's highly appreciated. So just taking this initiative and running webinars was highly appreciated by everyone. We managed to generate a lot of leads, a lot of brand awareness. Everyone was very happy with what we did for them and other efforts that we did is also sometimes we randomly would just visit their websites find an interesting article that they wrote bring it on our website optimize it and then send them a message and say look we gave you credit we optimized it and here you go you know what we are doing to help you to help with your seo to help with your exposure so this random gestures of just to remind them that we're here and we're thinking how we can support them we also plant one tree for every a new service provider that we get and for every client that we oh, that's bring that's great. Yeah, and occasionally we give them updates of how many trees we have planted, either via emails or just talking to them. I think when you put all these activities together, many of them have really good impression of us, even though some of them haven't received that much business, but they really like us because they see yes. that we're trying, they see that we're engaged, they see that we care about them yeah. and we invest efforts towards that. So I think it's very important that you allocate space and time for these activities until you figure out the other side of the marketplace, which is the demand, and really crack that aspect of the business model. Yeah, that, that is very true. There's one more thing that I have seen, a trend that I have seen, that a lot of um, startups start with a marketplace. And then what happens is that they realize that their service is needed maybe once a year. It's not something like Uber, which could even be needed twice a day. What they do is over time, so say it might be a thing for accountants to connect with their customers who are tradespeople, for example, I'm just taking a very broad example, uh, made up example. So what they would do is that once someone finds an accountant, they don't look for an accountant on a marketplace again for probably five years, if that, if ever. So they start building tools to help them so that people still keep using. And then over time, they just become a SaaS product and they even drop the marketplace side and just end up becoming a SaaS product for the contractors or for the accountants or something like that to manage their customers did that ever occur to you guys or did you ever look into that absolutely i think it's you're very right in a marketplace you need to look at the frequency and intensity so like how frequently people are purchasing and how much they actually need what you're offering so how intense is their need so uh, many marketplaces unfortunately don't have a great uh, frequency a bit but even airbnb doesn't have a great frequency when you think about it still it's a beautiful marketplace model that works quite well but the SaaS makes a lot of sense in fact we have started building features and moving towards this direction because again as as we started working with our supply side and we got a critical mass of service providers we start seeing patterns right you start seeing that none of them really uses any technology whatsoever we we literally have one service provider that prints out every, what they do is that they communicate with with the customers via whatsapp then they would take screenshots of each uh, conversation and they would print it out 
And that's how they're going to keep their documentation because, <laughs> yeah, which is for us sounds ridiculous, but yeah. they don't have anything. They don't have CRM. They don't have anything other than WhatsApp. And the way they exchange documents, like even passport information and other company related documents go on WhatsApp. So when we start seeing this, when we started seeing uh, those patterns, we started thinking, okay, maybe there is room for a SaaS solution. Mm-hmm. So we do want to transition more towards that and have SaaS enabled marketplace model, as people call it. But I think first we need to in the beginning, at least you need to focus on one of the two, right? You can't yeah, crack you can't do because everything, they, yes. Exactly, right? You need to pick your battles. And while this is part of the product roadmap and we have already started doing some basic things, we're still mainly focused on the marketplace. And I think it, we need to solve it one at a time. But yes, yes, we definitely see this as the natural next step in, in our evolution and where yes. we can really deliver a lot of value to both parties, not just to the supply side, but mm-hmm. also as you're building the software for the supply side, there's going to be some features that are going to be unique to uh, the customer as well that are going to create a lot of um, efficiencies for them. So in the long run, it's going to be a win-win for all parties. Yeah, and it can work. This is just my view. It is not backed by data or anything, but I absolutely think that that a marketplace to SaaS approach is really good, especially if you have a critical mass of users because then you start with a huge uptake, your SaaS product with a huge uptake. The other benefits with SaaS is a lot of VCs understand SaaS. They understand the CAC to LTV ratio, the cost of acquiring a customer. But then if you're transitioning from a marketplace to um, SaaS, your cost of acquiring initial users will be extremely low because you already have those people you are engaging with. So it's a very good strategy. So no, I think you guys are on the right track. So how does Greenhouse help? So say there is a startup in Australia or startup in, in US and they are interested in expanding to Indonesia. Indonesia is massive. Southeast Asia is absolutely massive. People don't realize, is it what, 250 million people or if not even more? More, a bit more, yeah, 270, I think. 270. 70 million people and just in Indonesia alone, then there is um, Malaysia, Singapore, Philippines, um, Thailand, Vietnam. It is so massive. If someone wants a beachhead, someone wants to move in, start expanding to, and a lot of people speak English in these markets, that is the other benefit. What should be the first step? It's a SaaS product, say like a B2B SaaS product that's been based in US or, or even a B2C product startup. Um, based in California or Australia, what do they do next? Sure. The challenge with emerging markets and why we started the business is that it's not transparent, right? You can't just go online and read. Many things are not translated. Many things are contradicting each other. Like even today, right, in 2020, in many of these markets, when you're incorporating, uh, you need to deal with four different government bodies and they would often contradict themselves. So the rules that one government body is demanding are different than the rules that another one is demanding. So you get you end up becoming very confused. At the same time, many of the service providers that can help you, they don't have websites or their websites suck big time and, yeah. and they don't have any SEO whatsoever. So then it becomes very difficult for you to find the right ones. There are a few that are quite digitally okay. So they do mm-hmm. put efforts, but then you end up only with these options and you don't have anything else. And just because they're online doesn't mean that they're necessarily very good. So what we do is that once we meet the client and we understand their requirements or whether they can do it either online completely through the platform or they can meet our sales team. So once we understand what they need, then we recommend a few service providers and it's up to them whether they want to talk to more than one or just one and screen them. 
But in that sense, we shortened this research cycle quite a bit. Also, we try to uh, educate the client in the process of connecting them. So, you know, we prepare them for some terminology that is specific to this market. We prepare them with timelines and, and just some basic compliance that they need to have in mind. And, and then the moment we connect them, you know, it can move pretty fast. Yeah. But sometimes companies are not necessarily convinced that they need to go to a new market. They're very interested. Let's say that Indonesia is booming. And you know that the Philippines is doing very well. And you're interested in those markets, but you're scared. Yeah, so so you, you don't yeah, you don't know whether your product is going to work in those markets. Mm-hmm. So for companies like that, and that's typically startups that are post-Series A, we see yeah. that they start just testing the waters and, and seeing how things are working. For companies like that, we discovered a whole bunch of services that in the beginning we weren't aware that they exist. But now that we've been doing that for a while, it uh, turns out there is there is so many things you can do to help you validate and test new markets. So, for example, one thing you can do is that we call it in-market representation. You can build a whole sales team under one of our service providers in a new market to test the market. And they and yeah. a lot of really big companies have done that when coming into into Philippines or Indonesia. So that's one. They can build a sales team for you and they can go try to sell the product. Another thing we do, and it's actually very trendy now in, in COVID world because people can't travel is business matchmaking. Often you're going to need to meet some distributors, agents, yes. suppliers, you know, like some sort of strategic partners that can help you. Even customers. Sometimes people mm-hmm. hire us to find them the ideal customer profiles and they're very specific about who they want to meet. And then our service provider is going to start looking for these people and try to arrange meetings. So that's quite trendy nowadays. So I think that's that's a much smarter way to do it. Whereas you meet the right people, you get to know the market, you can ask some hard questions. So you investigate the market either by building a sales team in that market, relatively inexpensive because you don't need to incorporate, you don't need to get an office space, you don't need to hire the people yourself. And and then you can quickly see whether the product clicks or not. Yeah. Especially the service provider is good, you know, they're going to update you quite frequently and they're going to give you a good report of what's yeah. been happening. So I think that these are the two ways, right? One is that you're convinced, you want to go into the market, then we help you find the best, I wouldn't say the best, but the most appropriate service provider for your needs at that time, someone that has dealt with your industry, that understands your space, and that can help you given your budget, or you want to test. And then we find you, then we connect you with the guys that can help you test in each of these markets. Yeah. Um, Dealing with lots of other startups, small businesses, all those sort of things who are trying to move into that part of the world. What is key mistakes you have seen these overseas companies making when they move to that part of the world? I think a lot of companies assume that whatever has worked in their home market is going to work in the new market. And also some cultures are just naturally more pushy and they're just yes. more business focused and, and, and less relationship focused, right? Especially Western cultures are very yes. individualistic, whereas, you know, Asian cultures are very collectivistic. Meaning what happens is that you expect a lot of autonomy. You expect a lot of, you hire people that would move really fast, that would be very independent and accountable, but that's not always the case. It, it just requires a different approach. And many Western companies are really pushy with the locals. If I don't know if that makes sense, but they just demand progress done very fast. They demand a lot of responsiveness and it doesn't sit well with many cultures. Like, yeah. for example, the Indonesian culture is a very slow paced culture. They like to take yes. their time. And if you're really pushy, you're gonna, they're just going to leave the company eventually. So I think understanding the culture is quite important and, mm-hmm. and how to operate in that culture. And also understanding that this market is very different. 
for example, again, in most of Southeast Asia, people don't use laptops as much as they use their mobile phones. Yeah. Meaning if, if, if you have really optimized your website quite a bit for desktop, and that's where you see most, most of the transactions happening in your native market, then you come to Southeast Asia where you know people leapfrogged this entire period where we, when I was a kid in Europe, I got a personal computer. Most yes. of my friends in Indonesia or the rest of the region, they did not get one. So they immediately, yeah. the first smart device they got was a smartphone. Yeah. So on a smartphone, they're like 10 times faster than I am. But on a computer, I would say that I'm much faster and I understand better how yes. to use it because I'm raised with that, whereas they were raised with a smartphone. So, you yeah. know, all these small things, like you need to consider that as you're entering the new market, you're going to need to have a lot of new learnings and you're going to need to do a lot of new tests rather than trying to use the very same things that work in other markets. Oh, Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I saw that in, in India as well. India went from pretty much 6% of India had like landlines and then it went straight to mobile phones. And now 60, 70% of India has mobile phones. So it, it completely skipped the whole landline modem, fa like all that fax machine, all that stuff and straight into, and, and the progress is happening in so much of parts of Asia so fast that it completely skipped the whole desktop revolution <laughs> that happened in the rest of the developed world. So yeah, very true. You had to start all over again, knowing everything that you have done, what would you do differently? With Greenhouse. So if I'm to start the business from the beginning. Yeah, yeah either, either Greenhouse or just your entrepreneurship journey or even with your first marketplace and, and everything. Uh -huh. How would you, okay. what would you change or what would you do differently? <laughs> the very, so I would try to answer it in two ways. One is yes. it like how, what I would do differently for my current startup and what I would do differently for myself. So yes. uh, starting with myself, I think the very first thing I would do is that I would most probably study computer science because mm -hmm. I know technology quite well. I, I understand very well no-code tools. So mm -hmm. I, I can... I can really duct tape a product through a lot of this, uh, like Zapier and a lot of other yeah. tools. So, you know, for a lot of non-technical people, it looks like I can build quite cool stuff. But whereas anyone that really understands technology would know that I'm just using a bunch of different tools. And I think the ability as a founder or as a C-level employee in a, in a startup to, to know how to code, I think is very important because sometimes you're just yes. under-resourced. And, and I think the two most important things, or maybe two out of three, is selling. Building the product and, of course, fundraising is quite important. So I think the fact that I don't know how to code, it's something that sometimes it's in my way. I try to compensate with really knowing how to sell better. And I focus a lot of energy and efforts to become better at that. And I spent most of the beginning of my career in the hospitality sector, which is a lot about talking to people and getting to know yep. people. That really helped me to develop a lot of soft skills. And yes. that helps with sales. But then again, product development is something that's really important and sometimes I need to be involved. So that's one thing I would change there in my personal journey if I'm to go back. When it comes to Greenhouse, what I would do differently, of course, every, every, so many iterations that uh, we had since the beginning turn out to not work, even though they sounded great at the time. And, and they were backed by a lot of research and a lot of observations and, and, and interviews with real clients. So I think... One thing is that I would rather focus on the demand side altogether from the very beginning. I would really try to crack the demand side before moving to the supply side. So I think going back to my previous point on go after the heart of the marketplace. Yes. And so for the heart, once you saw 
the easier part is going to follow. So I think that would be the, the formula I would try. Yeah. So in a marketplace, I think what I would do differently is that I would try to go after the harder part yeah. of the marketplace. So in our case, I think the demand is much harder. And it also because it's a less frequent service, you know, companies don't expand that often, unfortunately, to new markets. Some companies do. Once they start expanding, they expand across multiple markets at the same time, but that's not that common. Most of them are actually expanding to one market at a time. So I do feel that if we focus purely on the demand side in the beginning, that could have been very beneficial. But again, I don't know. I never tried that approach. But yeah. that's what I, I would like to, to give it a try if one day I run another marketplace model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It makes it makes so much sense. And most people don't realize until they have their own startup, does not matter if it's marketplace or non-marketplace, that how hard it is to build the demand for it and get engagement for it. And that's why customer acquisition costs are so high. And so much of the fundraising you do goes into acquiring and engaging and keeping those customers engaged. So yeah, yeah, I completely agree Agree with that. So what do you see as the next five years or, or the next stage for Greenhouse? Yeah. So I think as we touched on that earlier, SaaS is yes. very big for us. Our model as a marketplace is a managed marketplace model. Unlike in e-commerce, whereas you go on eBay or on Amazon, and you can directly see the products and purchase them. When you're selling professional services like incorporation or business matchmaking and or bank account setup, yeah. it's not something that you just land on a page and you buy, you know, because it can cost you altogether like tens of thousands of dollars. Sometimes it can go up to fifty thousand dollars just to incorporate alongside all the licenses that you need, depending on your um, industry. So yes. because of that, our model is quite different, whereas we can't just list these services and expect people going to buy them. It's just never going to happen. So, you know, really working on, so I guess next is like working a lot towards a managed marketplace model where we make it very intuitive and educational for the clients as they go through the process, they really understand what's necessary. Because as you're going into these new markets, especially emerging markets, you often don't know what you don't know. So yeah. I think it's not just about identifying the right service provider that can help you, but it's also in the process of finding the right service provider, you learn what you don't know. You get the basic sense of you know what you need to do so that when you meet the service provider, you can move really fast. So I think that's one thing that we're really focused on. And the, the second part is, of course, the SaaS. So really building yeah. you know, a lot of features around document storage so that documents could be exchanged in a more safe environment. As right now, I mentioned earlier, many service providers just uh, share everything via WhatsApp, which I don't think it's the best way to share your passport and, and everything else that's okay. precious to your company. Yeah, I think working on that, launching new markets as well, because for our model to work, we do need to have presence in a lot of different markets because many of our clients, they would work with us because we have presence in these markets. If we li yes. If we miss one of these markets, they may decide to go with another option mm -hmm. another solution that they have so definitely you know expanding towards africa uh, yeah. latin america and even developed markets because then um, it becomes i, I think only then yeah yeah exactly you start seeing a lot of interesting referrals happening within the network so the network effect starts kicking in the larger the network is yep 
Very true. Some really interesting points. And in the recent times, I have interviewed some really cool and up and coming entrepreneurs in Nigeria and in the African continent. And I can see the, the progress there. They are, it's like the 1990s of South or mid 90s of Southeast Asia. So that's where it is 25 years ago. So it is going to be such good opportunities for so many companies in pretty much all of Africa. It, it is just amazing to see. So before we go, do you have any ask? Are you looking for anything? Are you looking for customers, investors, anything? Sure. Of course, being a startup, we're always looking yes. for more customers and we're happy to help anyone looking into expanding in Asia Pacific. I think by now, you know, our network is uh, quite decent and we have, you know, partners yeah. all the way from Japan to India, including China and all the Southeast Asian countries. So definitely, you know, we're uh, more than happy to help or even just advice if someone is just considering. Nowadays, with so many tech solutions, companies are global from day one and yes. they often end up having customers all over the world. So I think many of them start thinking about expansion much earlier than ever before. So we're more than happy just to share our learnings or connect them with some someone that we know because, as I said, you know, Asia is a very relationship-focused culture. And because of that, it's very important that you get in, uh, warm introductions to the right people. That just helps you so much, uh, whatever you want to do, whether you want to fundraise or you want to you know, grow your customer base or you want to hire talent, whatever it is, I think warm referrals are very important. So we're more than happy to help. That is fantastic. That's great to know. And I have three quick questions that I ask everyone. Is there a book that you are reading right now or what was the last book that you read? Yeah. So I'm actually reading The uh, Promised Land by Obama. So I think yeah. he just released uh, his uh, memoir not too long ago. So I pre-purchased it a long time back and it just arrived two weeks ago. So now I'm about to finish that. So I think uh, that's quite interesting. I do like to read memoirs from time to time. I yeah. typically focus on business books and entrepreneurship related books, but also memoirs are quite refreshing at times. So I think that's, that's the book that I'm reading so far. It's quite nice. It's, it's a bit long, but still, you know, it's very, he's a great storyteller. I think yeah. he's doing a very good job to really uh, describe his entire life. And uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. What was the key thing that jumped out from that book that was unexpected for you? Because I'm so focused on the whole startup sector and, and entrepreneurship yes. and the startup ecosystem. So I don't have that much visibility over politics right and how things yeah. are happening i never tried myself and it was just so it's such a transparent account of how things are happening how decisions are taking place and, and how you need to convince people there's a lot of similarities between the startup world and also a lot of things that are completely different i think just this open window towards how politics work and the challenges that he faced and how he needed to overcome them whenever he wanted to work on something meaningful and important I think it's just quite um, eye-opening, right? Like I, I learned quite a bit from that. And I think that was very interesting for me. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very cool. Is there a podcast or a YouTube channel that you follow or learn from? Yeah, quite a few. But the one that comes on top of my mind is called Acquired, acquired.fm. I don't know if you listen to it, it's quite popular. And essentially what they do is that in the beginning, they would focus 
mainly on companies that got acquired, as the name suggests. But I think they expanded from that and now they cover IPOs and all kinds of different interesting organizations. So um, they tell the story of every business. Like they try to go back from when the business was founded all the way to an acquisition uh, or an exit. So I think it really helped me to understand a lot of businesses and their story. And and also I found a lot of similarities between what we do and what a lot of other companies have been doing. So I, I love the show and I listen to it quite often. Oh, that's great. I always love to find new and hidden gems like this, like what you are sharing. No one has shared Acquire so far. And same for the book. You're the first one to talk about Promised Land. So yeah, it's always great to find out about new stuff that I can read and learn from or listen and learn from. Finally, if you had unlimited time, resources and money, what would you work on or what would you build? Oh, that's that's a big one. Right. I think what I'm seeing also a lot of people to do nowadays, they're really focused on environmental problems. Yeah. I think as global warming becomes more and more important, I think that the next big thing I'll focus on would be that. I yeah. have figured out how exactly I'll tackle the problem, but if I had the time and the resources, that's definitely uh, the direction I would take. And I think more and more people start doing it and and and, and that's how it should be. Absolutely. We should all try to contribute in our small or or big way in solving this huge problem. So yeah, I think I'm very, I care a lot about the environment. Hence why, as I mentioned, Greenhouse plants quite a few trees. I think we planted more than 3000 trees in uh, most of them in Southeast Asia and most of them in Indonesia in particular. Yeah, we do care a lot about it. And I think the entire team cares. So definitely something around environment and, and fighting global warming. Yep, that's really great. I was just about to say that you guys do that already in a way, in a limited sort of your capability way that you guys are planting trees and it's not just for profit, but kind of a social enterprise in a way. So that's great. Yep, that's really good. Thank you, Victor, so much. I will put links to to Greenhouse and to to your LinkedIn and to any any of your social and your company's social profiles underneath this. And yeah, it was great to learn more about Greenhouse and learn more about Indonesia and Southeast Asia and the culture there in particular. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Sam. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.